Hi, I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gromos. And this is The Back Peak. Group D, finally, the preview we've all been waiting for. World Cup's only around the corner and I'm so pumped for this episode, Nathan. It's amazing, isn't it? All the squads have been announced and we've got a special guest on this episode, Lazarus. Yeah, we do. We've got Luke Cassidy, who was a former head of national performance with Football Australia during the years of 2013 to 2019, so he's been kind enough to give us some time and uh, will join us on this episode and we'll go through the Socceroos squad in detail and also what Luke thinks of our chances in Group D. I'm so excited for this podcast, Nathan. It's There's so much news to digest here with the Socceroos squad being announced and France and Denmark and Tunisia all announcing their squads as well. So let's talk about this Socceroos squad, Lazarus, announced on Tuesday last week. Yes. And it's caused a little bit of a stir. It has, hasn't it? Look, it's an exciting side. It it really is an exciting squad when you look at it. Can't call it a side yet because he hasn't named an 11, but we can call it a squad, that's for sure. The squad of 26... What did you make of the announcement? For mine, looking at this squad, I think it's just about the perfect squad that he could have picked. I think it's just about the perfect squad that Graham Arnold could have picked. Yes, there might have been one or two issues that we'll come on to shortly, but for mine, I can't find a significant problem with this squad, something that is glaringly obvious. I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised, that he hasn't picked Trent Sainsbury. Yeah, because yeah. Trent Sainsbury's performance for Australia have not been good enough for a, a while now. No, I agree. And that's been one criticism thrown at Arnie whilst he's been in the job, that he has picked his favourites, but that's not the case well, here. He can't be criticised of nepotism, that's for sure here, because we know that Trent Sainsbury is Graham Arnold's son-in-law. And you can throw Ryan Grant in this mix as well. Yeah. Another one of Graham Arnold's favourites down Correct. the years. Yep. Nowhere in the squad. Yep. Uh, it'll be an interesting Christmas lunchtime. Yes. <laughs> at the Arnold's but surely he would have told ah for sure prior to Tuesday last week and let's not kid ourselves these guys are professional in what it is aside from whatever criticism you can level at these people they are professionals in what they do and I'm sure that they have you know they're able to delineate the professional aspect of their lives from their personal lives it's not you know it's something that um, they're paid to do and, and they enjoy it no doubt right so I actually think that Football Australia handled the announcement very well, getting Faras Durrani to actually do a uh, bit online, which is like on YouTube and online, which was awesome. Great way to announce a squad. So the, the, the PR optics tick. Graham Arnold throwing John Crawley, saying he picked the goalkeepers, he's the one that's responsible for mine. Cross. Graham Arnold is the one that's responsible for picking this side ultimately at the end of the day right yes you consult your coaching staff yes have a selection committee about your your you, you picking the squad yes John Crawley is the goalkeeping coach right however you don't just say okay he's the one who's picked the goalkeepers any issues and criticisms speak to him because last time I checked it was Graham Arnold fronting the press conference not John Crawley I get that point. I do get that point. And this is what you're getting at here with Mitchell Langerak. Absolutely. 100%. I'm red hot on this and I'm not the only one. This is the one major contentious decision that's come out of this squad announcement. There's more contentious decisions. This is the hottest. I think this is the hottest purely because based on form. Based on form. Yes, people go, well, you got Langerak out of retirement, international retirement, right? For the New Zealand friendlies, yet you didn't play him. However, 
statistically, right, best keeper in Japan for the last two years. So the international retirement that Mitchell Langerak decided to partake in was primarily due to the fact that the COVID restrictions coming out coming in and out of Japan were prohibitive, right? So that being said, statistically, of the goalkeepers that Australia has, he's the best goalkeeper. Playing the most consistently, he's the best goalkeeper. Other goalkeepers in the goalkeepers' union, such as Schwartz and Bosnich, he's the best goalkeeper. He should be starting. I know Matty Ryan's the captain soccer room, but I'm sorry. He's, he's on the bench at Copenhagen. That's my argument. Should he be the skipper? Nobody can deny that Matty Ryan's heart is not in the Socceroos, right? And this is not the argument. It's a question of whether or not he should even be starting. Look at it purely on form and statistics. Langerak starts. It's an interesting conundrum here because for mine, you want some sort of continuity in your defence. And because Trent Sainsbury's not in the squad, because Kai Roll's just come in, Harry Suter's just come into the squad, I'm talking in, in recent years, there needs to be some sort of continuity in the starting lineup. And Matt Ryan went to Russia, went to Brazil. He is a mainstay of this Socceroos team. And yes, his form compared to Mitch Langerak on paper is not amazing, but I would start Matt Ryan anyway because he is that continuous link off squads from the past to now. And at the end of the day, Mitch Langerak has never been first choice for the Socceroos. He's always been backup. Yeah, but at some point, form form needs to count for something here, right? Goalkeeping is a bit different in the sense that, as compared to your defenders, because it's only one position. So it's, you know, one person taking responsibility for defending the goal. And I, and statistically and in, in on form, Langerak is best placed to do that. No one can deny that Matty Ryan hasn't been a great servant of the Socceroos. And he's been, been a great skipper. And he will lead the country with pride and distinction, no doubt, right, this time around. You are right to a degree, though, about consistency as far as, hey, having a set of stable hands because as excited as I am for Kai Rolls and Harry Suter to be picked because they would be our starting defenders given class, right, and technical proficiency, I'm a bit worried about their lack of game time recently because they've both coming back from injuries. That's the problem. Harry Suter's back playing full matches for Stoke now. Kai Rolls is back in the team as well. That is the injury cloud over the central defensive partnership. You mentioned those two would start for the soccer. I think that's the partnership for Australia for the next decade. I agree. So, it's it's a tough decision for Arnie to make in, in net because if you have a not-quite-yet-match-fit Harry Suter next to a not-quite-match-fit-yet Kai Rolls with a goalkeeper, Mitch Langerak, who's been in and out of the team, I think that does tend itself to be a little bit haphazard. Yeah, sure. No, look, they're all valid points, right? So, you will go with Matty Ryan? I would go with Matty Ryan. And the thing is, whether or not you pick Mitch Langerak to be your second or third choice keeper, at the end of the day, barring something going horribly wrong with Matt Ryan, your first choice, they are there as a set of goalkeeping coaches or a cheer squad, whichever way you want to look at it. Sure. So... I think the culture and things like that are more important than just picking the three best out-and-out goalkeepers. If you're looking at your second and third choice, you are perhaps more looking at their impact on the first choice than anything else. Okay. What do you think of rewarding the Grey Wiggle just because he got us to the World Cup 
having saved penalties. He's in there purely for penalties, and we know that, right? But if are you worried that if Matty Ryan gets injured or whatever the case is, and Vukovic gets injured, we're stuck with Redmayne? And look, I mean, you know, great penalties, great penalty saver, but. As far as playing feet, I've seen better keepers in the A-League this season than what I've seen Redmayne perform. You're right on that. And if it is a disaster in net where Matt Ryan does get injured, then we are we are looking at a bit of a tight situation here with two keepers that are quite rightly, as you mentioned, not as good as Mitch Langerak, who hasn't been picked. So, and that's my concern. Yes, and it's a valid concern, but Matt Ryan hasn't really picked up any major injuries no, in, his, in his career. I don't think... He's someone who is injury prone. There's not really a an, an imminent threat. It might, something might happen out of the blue, of course. Is it a pick of Arnie's favourites again? And look, he's entitled to because he's the national coach. No one's going to dispute that and argue that, right? But is it a pick of because I look at Matty Ryan and good luck to him, right? Gone to Brighton, right? Out of favour. Gone to Arsenal, out of favour. Gone to, gone to Sociedad, out of favour. Gone to Copenhagen, out of favour. Is there something with regard to Matty Ryan that these European clubs are picking up that we're not picking up here? It's interesting because when he was at Brighton, he was, for a large period of his career, their first choice. And he was pulling out good saves. The only question mark surrounding Matt Ryan was his height. That was the one thing that was holding him back in at the elite level. So I'm yet to really identify a significant problem in his game that has caused him to be on the bench at all these clubs. Is it the case that he's picking the wrong clubs with the competition not quite being at his level and just a little bit above his level, so he ends up being on the bench? Is it the fault of his agent? Mm. I'm not quite sure. At the end of the day, though, Matt Ryan is still a fantastic shot stopper for Australia. He's good with his feet, which is something that Australia's going to need at this World Cup. I agree with you. We need a goalkeeper who's fantastic with his feet. Absolutely. 100%. And Matt Ryan does offer that. Yeah. Yeah. I think Vuka does as well, to a degree. So, Lazarus, that was our little goalkeeper chat. But one thing we forgot to do was just to run through the squad for those who are unaware of the announcement, who haven't really been keeping up to tabs with everything that's gone on with the Socceroos in the last week or so. so You're, you're right, Nathan. We got carried away with the goalkeepers. We came, both came in hot. I think it started before we started recording. It, it, it did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. So let's run through this yeah. Australia World Cup squad. The goalkeepers, as we mentioned, Matt Ryan, Andrew Redmayne, and Dunny Vukovic. Notable omission of Mitch Langerak, as mm-hmm. we mentioned. So going through the defenders, Nathaniel Atkinson, Aziz Bayich, Milos Degenek, Thomas Deng, Fran Karacic, Joel King, Kai Rolls, Harry Suter, and Bailey Wright. What do you make of all that? It looks a good set of defenders. I, I like that there's enough cover for every position if something does go wrong with one of the outfielders. It is more of a problem than the goalkeepers. There is much more depth here with the defence. If one of them is not quite ready, looking at you, Harry Suter, Kai Rolls, then the- Bailey Wright, who has been playing regular games, can come in and it's not too much of a drop-off. I think Across this squad, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the floor is really high for the Socceroos squad. There's not really a problem position that there has the been. The ceiling or the floor? The, the floor. I'm talking about the floor. Oh, the floor. Sorry, I'm yes. talking about the floor. Um, previously, left-back has been an issue for the Socceroos squad. I remember under Ange, it was uh, a constant a constant issue with all the people watching. Mm. Brad Smith, Aziz Bage, yep. not really being up to task. Yeah. 
But that's not the case this time around. No, it's it a much more well-rounded squad. But we'll get into the midfielders now. We have yeah. Aaron Moy, Jackson Irvine, Aiden Hrustich, Cam Devlin, Riley McGree, and Keanu Backus. Yeah, I'm happy with that midfield. Look, there's an argument there for Rockage to have come back in. I don't think that Rockage could have made it because number one, just signed for West Brom. Number two, West Brom aren't doing that well. Number three, he hasn't played enough for West Brom. So I'm actually quite excited with this midfield, and, and I think Cameron Devlin is actually my player to watch. Yeah. Socceroos. Do you think he starts? I think he starts. In place of who? Moy. Moy, really? Yeah, I, I've got him ahead of Moy. Yeah, wow. Okay. Because I would think the starting midfield would be Moy, Irvine, and Hrustich, if they're all fit. I would actually go Devlin, Hrustich, and Irvine. Interesting. A little bit more steel? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Devlin's been just killing it in the Scottish Premiership, right? So, you know, and there's an argument there that McGree, who's actually found some form as well at Middlesbrough, could come in for Irvine. But the age of this midfield as well is exciting. The future looks pretty good for the Socceroos side, given that there's 17 World Cup debutants as well, right? But what are your thoughts on the midfield? I do like it. I think Cammy Devlin could definitely come in and start in place of Jackson Irvine. Okay, I think yeah. he could go Devlin Moy, yeah, Rustich. Yeah, no, I, that's, yeah, that's what I like about this midfield. They're very interchangeable. It is very much a, a plug and play. What? Oh, yeah, that's a great term because one thing you can say around this squad is that there's versatility all over it. It is an exciting squad in that aspect. So Nathan, your soccer player to watch for this tournament? For mine, it is Aiden Rustich. He's a player who, if Australia are going to do anything in this tournament. He needs to be not only fit to play, but he needs to be firing as well because I don't think we're going to get too many chances from open play to score many goals. It is going to come down to set pieces for mine. His delivery will make the difference for Australia. And That's a fair shout. The way these teams, the way that these games are going to go for mine, Tunisia looks like the most winnable game on paper, but we'll come on to Tunisia soon. Mm. But the way they play, they are very good defensively. Yep. They're very good at soaking up pressure. Sure. So it just comes down to whether Australia have the attacking prowess to break them down from open play. I don't think we do. Yep. I don't think we have... I don't think we can score an open play goal against Tunisia. Really? So I think it will come down to a set piece. No. No, I have to disagree with you. I, I think we actually will go to... I think we'll actually get a result against Tunisia. I'm actually... I'll, you know, we'll obviously cover it off later, later on when we go game by game, but... I actually think that Australia will score in open play, no problem against Tunisia. Well, I think we'll beat Tunisia. But what, two penalties? Not, not, we'll set pieces, corners, free kicks. Uh, okay, fair enough. No, fair enough. Yeah. So Lazarus, who's your player to watch at this tournament for the Socceroos? Nathan, I think Cam Devlin. It's been a, a strong rise from him in recent years, playing for Southern Sharks. Yeah. Then Sydney FC. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then over to Scotland now. Mm. And he's just looking better and better. Yeah, I uh, like the look of Cam and his work at Hearts. You know, he's been a regular there. He's featured regularly there this season. And having watched a couple of the Scottish Premiership games, playing really well for Hearts. And I can just see him actually, start, like I said, uh, like I've said elsewhere as well and earlier, is that I think he'll actually be more integral than Moy. That's a big shout, because Moy's had a bit of a resurgence this season under Andrew Celtic and he has had his rough performances but yeah. now that he's got a clearly defined role at Celtic I think he's really improved based on where he was during his China days I actually think that Moy is a touch slower with, with ball distribution 
right? I think that um, Devlin gives us a bit more speed as far as that's concerned. He's a quicker player from what I've seen. So I stand to be corrected, obviously. But just, uh, just you know, my, my indication is, is, my inclination is rather that I think that Devlin will be getting, seeing more game time than what other people would have expected. And let's have a look at the forwards. Arwen Mabil, Matt Leckie, Martin Boyle, Jamie McLaren, Jason Cummings, Mitchell Dew, Grant Quall, and Craig Goodwin. Any controversial omissions for you out of that lot? Mm, no, not really. For you, I think you did mention Marco Tilio, perhaps Adam Taggart. Look, Tilio, I think uh, Marco Tilio could be considered to be hard done by. Right, I think that miss against New Zealand is. I think been. that's what cost him, unfortunately. I really do. I feel for Marco Tilio. However, he's only twenty-one. Great kid, and he's got a bright future ahead of him. And I'm sure that you know a move to Europe will see him progress even further and develop even further. And he'll be around for the 2026 campaign. All going well. The thing is, though, if you are going to take Marco Tilio to this World Cup, mm. who misses out? Who do you boot off? Well, the this plane? is the other question, right? If around the Socceroos, if we were looking at Volpato, and he had a guaranteed spot. Right, as far as Arnold was concerned, he offered him a guaranteed spot. So, who was going to miss out of the the uh, attackers that we've just said? For mine, I think it would be Jason Cummings that missed that would have missed out. I think he would have missed out. Yeah. <sighs> See, I, I, he's the kind of player that you need. I I completely agree with that. I think he should be. I th- he should be in line to start for Australia. Absolutely, he, he's not far off. The, I think the, one the, of the, the others, with all due respect to them, one of the others could have, aside from Qual. Well, who Matt Leckie's been in fine form this season. Martin Boyle is one of the best attacking players we've got. Mm. Who comes out? No, see, Boyle's a really good winger, right? And I think actually Boyle starts. Yeah, he probably does. Yeah, right. Do you mm. drop Armand Bill? Has he played enough against Dith? Probably not. Probably not. Although he has contributed recently playing for Cadith, right? It's an interesting one that Armand Bill scenario because he's gone to test himself at La Liga, right? And he's uh, found it difficult, unfortunately, with a change in manager as well. So, but he has come onto the pitch in recent times and contributed and done, you know, some great assists. The one question mark I have about the attackers is Mitch Duke up front. That's the one that everyone's got. Is Mitch Duke good enough to be leading the line for Australia World Cup? This is a player who is in the Japanese second division. Yes, that's the easy jump to make. That okay? Look he, at it now. Taggart versus Duke. Has Arnie made the right decision here? I think he has. To be fair. Potentially, potentially. I think maybe you could drop Mitch Duke for a winger to come in as a different option. But I'm more concerned about who's actually going to take the field instead of who's in the squad. Jay McLaren should be the number nine for the Socceroos at this tournament. Mitch Duke, yes, he might be a better stylistic fit the way he plays, but for mine, McLaren is a better footballer. The only concern I have about McLaren... I agree with you, McLaren is a great player, right? He's a good player in the A-League. When he was worn a Socceroos shirt... He's been le- I, he hasn't quite done it. He's never got like, Duke. Run, sorry, he, he's never yeah. got a run of games though. Jamie McLaren. Yeah. He's always in and out. He comes on with like twenty minutes to go, try and do something. He needs a run of games to find his feet. I think Duke has actually accomplished more in a soccer shirt than what McLaren has. That is fair, and I'll agree with you on that. But I would also say that Jamie McLaren hasn't had the same opportunity as Mitch Duke. Okay, so we say the ball starts, right? Who else starts with him? Oh, Mitch Duke will start. Does Leckie start? I think Leckie should start as well. What about Goodwin? I think Leckie's in better form than Craig Goodwin. I appreciate Craig Goodwin's set-piece abilities. Yes. And if I think they're vital. 
And if Frustich is not fit, I think you do have to start Goodwin because mm. of that reason. But yeah, I agree. I'm picking Lecky based on what, the assumption that Aiden Frustich is fit and ready. And the bill doesn't come in on the left instead of either or? No, I think he comes on as an impact player. Okay. I think 70 minutes, nil-nil, or one goal down. You send on Mabil, you send on Cummings, you send on Qual, and you go for it. So we would put, I suggest, Qual on one side and Cummings on the other when, if we need to break the game. Is that how you would? Is that how you're thinking of it? No. Or do you go change the system and go for you know? No, you stick Cummings up front. Yeah, instead of uh, McLaren. No, well, yeah, it, yeah. Well, it'll be instead of Duke, but or Duke, yeah, because McLaren would be playing. Well, see, okay. So then, what role does McLaren play? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, right? Because I'm th- the way I'm thinking is that I would actually start Duke because of the way that the soccer is going to play. Correct. <laughs> and look, I know that we'll cover it off uh, with Luke Cassidy later on, right? But. If this is an Ange, and I, it, it serves us no purpose, right? But if this is an Ange-coached squad as opposed to an Arnie squad... I think McLaren would start for an Ange team. Perhaps. I actually think that um, Duke is actually better on the ball than what McLaren is. And he actually offers more. He's more of a threat, both aerially and in movement, compared to McLaren. I think it's a fair call. But I think McLaren just has that... A little bit of uh, poaching about him. He's always... He's a poacher. He, he's a fox in the box. Yeah, he's a poacher. And I think particularly against Tunisia, mm. that's the game where I'm expecting Australia to have more of the ball. Is it worth Arnie changing formation for that game? Maybe not formation, but personnel perhaps. But even like even just go 4-4-2. Let's go 4-4-2. Dave Bassett would say, let's play 4-4-F-2 with Benson and Hedges up front. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's worth a shout, right? Because... That's the game that you've got to go for. Do we talk about Volpato? We have to. That yeah. is I another think... one of these big stories out of the squad announcement. Yeah. That Arnie was saying that he rang him three times yeah. on the day before the squad announcement. Do you th- I get the impression that Australia needs to do a little bit more in trying to seduce Volpato. I mean... Or, and stay in touch with him and actually be interested in... Not only Volpato, but any other youngster that is overseas... Right, I'll contend that we need a ambassador of football in Australia, you know, in Europe, an Australian ambassador of football. There, you've got people over there. They need to be on the ground, close to these people, and and liaising with them and and checking in on them. I think they did all that. And my evidence, so. my evidence is that you look at Harry Sutar, you look yeah. at Martin Boyle, mm. you look at Frank Karacic. These are players who hadn't had barely set, set foot in Australia, if yep. at all, and we've managed to turn them from their original mm. declarations to play for Australia. Yeah. I think no, that's fair. Maybe we've done a better... Sorry, I didn't mean to talk mm. over you there. Maybe we've done a better job of it of late, but this one here shouldn't have gone through the net. See, the way this will pan out, that yes, he's getting some minutes now for Roma, and he might be getting some contributions as well, but at any given moment, it can fall away from him. Uh, his career in Europe can completely come to a standstill. He's back in Australia, back in the A-League, and he just says, oh, I was just keeping my options open, and here he is in a soccer shirt in four years' time. And that could very well be the case. I've got a question for you, though. Both Garan Qual and Christian Valpardo are the same age. What is the difference? One's going to the EPL, and the other one is actually all right, doing it in Serie A, right? But are we making too much of this? We are making too much of it, because this yeah. is a guy who... Christian Volpato is someone that has potential. Correct. And he's doing it in Europe, which is exciting. 
But Grand Qual is on our doorstep. We have yeah. a, a front row seat to what Qual's doing for mm. the Central Coast Mariners. And there is that little bit of a difference there. Also, Qual wants to play for Australia. Yeah. Christian Volpato is hedging his bets. Quite explicitly doesn't want to commit to the Socceroos right now. He's hedging his bets. He is. He is. Yeah. And, and look, he's I, young, right? I don't and, blame you don't, him and, and neither do I. Neither do I. Right? Especially if you've got a mentor like Toddy in your ear, right? If, who believes that he can play for Italy, well, good luck to him, right? So, but I think what we need to do as a as a sport here in Australia is stay close to the talent that has gone overseas to apply their trade and really be in touch with them and really be, you know, there, be present, right? Make the effort. I think it's going to be very hard to turn Christian Volpato to the Socceroos so. for anybody over there because of what you just said. He's yeah. got Totti in his ear. And there are others that are probably more responsible for his social media postings or social media postings around him that, you know, may need to be consulted with. Come on, turn turn it down a bit. Yeah, you know. So we get it, he's a great, he's a great talent. Promote the talent all you like, but it would be in Australia's best interest to stay close to, to the kid and uh, to be close to those people around him. And hopefully we can um, we can manage to see him in a soccer shirt. If not, then you know no good harm, no fail. And good luck to him. That's right, hundred percent. And joining us now on the back peg, our Group D preview in our Destination Doha series is former head of national performance with Football Australia, Luke Cassidy, who had a storied career in the NSL as well. So thank you for your time, Luke, and uh, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, happy to be here. So, uh, Luke, what are you, is your current involvement with football? I understand you're involved with uh, Hills Brumbies at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, so the official title at Hills United is head of football this year. So it's a club that, you know, my son has played at. I've got some really good friends involved in the club. I lived around the corner for a long time and um, always tried to just kind of help out and advise from a little bit of a distance. And over the last couple of years, I've got more and more involved. So... Head of football at Hills and just trying to you know help them out as much as I can with the recruitment of staff and org structures and all that kind of stuff and ticking along pretty well. The foundation of the club is is pretty solid and our boys' youth program have been promoted up into the top tier of MPL for next season. So yeah, we're ticking along okay. And um, outside of that, you know, over the last couple of years, I I get asked to. Um, you know, consult to a few different places and sort of just have a couple of fingers in a little pies and help out wherever I can, basically. That's great. We'll keep an eye out and see the fortunes of Hills United next season because it uh, looks like they'll be in safe hands with yourself there, that's for sure. Time to get to the heavy stuff, I think. We've had the World <clears throat> Cup Socceroos squad announced a couple of days ago. What did you make of the squad? Yeah, look, I don't think there were too many major surprises. You know, obviously there's been a fair bit of talk about Mitch Langerak. He's probably the only one that's, you know, caused a bit of a controversial talking point. It's interesting though, like it's an interesting squad in many respects, you know, certainly not one that would sit here and say that there are any players that don't deserve their place in the squad or anything like that. But, you know, it was noted the other day, 17 World Cup debutants. It's a young squad. It's a very young squad. A lot of players inexperienced at this level going to a major tournament, which I guess throws up a couple of things. Game one against, you know, I guess one of the World Cup favourites and current champions, you know, with a squad like that is, it's a massive challenge, but you know when I look beyond that for the future of the national team and the future of the Socceroos, 
going in with a squad like that, yeah, I think, yeah, it's really positive for what lies ahead beyond the World Cup. Well, let's talk about that main concern that you alluded to, Mitch Langerak. Which side of the debate do you sit on? Do you think Arnie was right to exclude him from the squad or do you think he should have been going to Qatar? No, I think he should be going. I think by a mile he's been the the standout goalkeeper as far as consistency and performance and playing at a high level for the last couple of years. Of course, Matty Ryan is the number one, although his playing time has been inconsistent, he's always been fantastic, he's captain of the squad. But if anything happens to Matty, then I'll, my personal opinion is Mitch is, you know, right at this time, the best equipped uh, to step in for us. Now, I understand, obviously, Mitch retired from international football and wasn't involved. So it appears that, you know, they've kind of gone with the line of being loyal to the players that did the job and got them to Qatar. But there's a whole, whole host of other players that haven't been involved in much of the campaign at all. Yeah, that's um, right. Going to the World Cup. So the only thing that confuses me is my understanding is, and my understanding could be wrong, but my understanding is that the soccer and staff approached me to come out of retirement. And so that's, I guess, you know, in the end, it looks like that was just an insurance policy. If anything had happened to um, to Booker or Redmayne or any of the three, then, then it was the insurance policy where kind of thought that if it was their idea and their approach and they went to him to come out of retirement given the level that he's been playing at I thought he'd be there cracking person cracking goalkeeper yeah so a bit of an odd one but yeah that's the yeah, thing that strikes at the end me. of the day it, yeah sorry, sorry at the end no, of the sorry. day it just yeah. appears that coaches have gone with the guys that they've been working with and they're comfortable with and that was their choice yeah, that's the thing that strikes us as odd is that it appears as though the Socceroos did bring Mitch back for the New Zealand friendlies. And yet when it's come to announcing the squad a month later or, you know, six weeks later, it's, okay, well, thanks, but, yeah, just stay in Japan. It's just a yeah, really, really well, odd... I think myth. that's the one that's... That's why it's caused such a talking point. You know, it is what it is. I'm also delighted for the boys that are going. Oh, totally. Um, you know all uh, fantastic people and that kind of stuff as well but when you just look at the form that Mitch has had and the level that he's played at over the last couple of years he should be there I think Any other omissions that you think should be there like Rogic uh, points have been made about Rogic Taggart Volpato perhaps and Volpato is probably the interesting one because of his age and the potential that he has uh, playing at Roma but anything else of like any other notable omissions that you think are Hard done, but no, it should have been I don't think squad. so. I think no. everyone's pretty comfortable and understands the reason. I think everyone understands why Rogic wouldn't have been selected. Understands why Trent Sainsbury has not been selected. In, you know, with the, the amount of minutes and form that he's had recently. If you go back to the 2018 World Cup, I would have gone as far as saying Trent Sainsbury was probably the number one central defender in all of Asia. He was at that kind of level at the World Cup in, in 2018. But the last couple of years, we haven't seen him quite at that level. And, so I think everyone sort of kind of yeah, understands those decisions that have been made and is pretty comfortable with that, you know, as a as a fan, as a supporter. And then the Volpato one is is always interesting. It, mm. it appears that he's hedging his bets to see, you know, where things are in the future for him with Italy. You just hope it works out for the boy. You know, he will he be the will he be the next Christian Vieri or we'll just have to see how that one plays out. But I feel like he's He's obviously hedging his bets to see uh, where things land in the future with Italy. And I think it's important for the Socceroos not to burn that bridge with Volpato, even though it may seem like that he's doing it for us. 
putting out some uh, interesting things on social media. Again, knocking back the calls to be uh, included in a World Cup squad. Do you see it the way that he is hedging his bets or is it the case that he is turning his back on Australian football given his previous interactions with the academies? I'm alluding to him being let go by a number of A-League clubs. Yeah, like in that regard, I've actually spoken to one of the A-League clubs in particular and when you understand their reasons for uh, for letting him go, you go, okay, that kind of sounds fair enough. Um, and, and that was mostly in regard to the time that he was there, the amount of the, the program that he actually missed, mm-hmm. he wasn't available for. So, But in saying that, look, the boy's obviously talented. He's a young boy. And, and for me, I clearly see it as hedging his bets. It, it appears that he's, his heart is set on playing with Italy and he wants to see if that works out. And the Socceroos, uh, another fullback option, is the way it looks to me. But I'm just saying that looking from the outside in. I don't know him. I've never spoken to him. Um, you know, I certainly think the Socceroos did the right thing to approach him and try and take him to the World Cup. We've been criticised in the past. If, if players end up playing for another nation, the Josip Simonic, mm. Joey Didlicha kind of scenario, yeah. Seric, all those kind of scenarios that we've had in the past. You know, in, in my time at the FFA, and it's kind of continued. We've done a fair bit of work on... You know, the, the Harry Sutas, Martin Boyles and Milos Deginek was one, Karacic, you know, if, if there's an option to play for Australia that we put our case forward and, and, and show them all the benefits of, of being part of our national team program and, and those players have decided that Australia was the place for them and I think that's worked out quite well for us so far and, you know, some players that have that dual nationality and uh, options to play for more than one country, they may make different decisions but... I think it's work that we have to continue to do. You have to, um, you kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. You know, people are critical if, you know, you have a player representing the national team and they've got a bit of an accent, they've never been to Australia before. <laughs> but the second they find out that, that that a player is playing for another country that could have played for us, mm. then they're straight in. What was the governing body doing? That's Why right. weren't they scouting and, 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 and trying yeah. to get these players? So kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So I think definitely... It's the right thing. Um, There's no way in the world that because Christian has made this decision that I would close the door and say, that's it forever. He's a young boy. Let's see how his career pans out, see how things work out for him. And, you know, if if a player has that level of talent, then I think we should always be open and leave the door open for him. No, I agree there. agree there. Having a look at this current squad... What excites you the most? I think, like personally, um, having Garan Quoll on there and Jason Cummings in the squ- in the squad, I think they're great additions, for especially for our front line. But what, having a look at the overall squad, what excites you the most? Yeah, it's funny because we're going to the World Cup, and what excites me is beyond the World Cup. So mm. um, I really feel with the squad that's been chosen to go to Qatar that you know we can start to kind of see a bit of a foundation being set. You know, for the Socceroos, you know, for the next few years and for the next campaign, um, where the squad will be able to spend a fair bit of time together and have a fair bit of stability with those players. You know, you, in an ideal world, you would expect that Harry Suta, Kyra Rolls, Devlin, Kowal, and these guys could be mainstays in the team for quite some time. And, and that's the bit that I, that I like about the squad. So does, for you, does this squad build more towards 2026 than it does here in Qatar with this intimate tournament? For me, it does. Like, you're going there with 17 players that have never been to a World Cup before. So, 
it, yeah, it, it certainly uh, it looks like it's built that way to me. And if you look at this group that Australia's in, is there not a bit of an opportunity for Australia to perhaps do a little bit more than perhaps just building towards the next World Cup? You've got a game against Tunisia, which on paper seems very winnable. Lots of problems at the French squad that we're going to cover off a little bit later on in this episode. But there's a bit of an opportunity here for the Socceroos if things go the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the opportunity, everything comes down to game one in my mind. For the, for the Federation, one of the biggest challenges that we faced, so the two Men's World Cups that I did were Brazil and Russia. Yep. And logistically, they were a nightmare. Um, yeah. You know, we would play... Before Brazil, we had the game against uh, South Africa here in Australia. So yep. The squad comes in, yeah, that, yep. extended squad. That squad got cut down to 27. So you take four extra players, goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, attacker, mm. across to Brazil. You're in Brazil. We had the charter flight up to Salvador to play a practice game against Croatia. Charter yeah. flights back. Such a massive country, charter yeah. flights everywhere. And it's the same because we'd look after the the players' family and friend tour, security and charter yeah. flights and all that kind of stuff. So the amount of work that goes into, you know, working with various charter flight companies, you know, even when there's issues with that, you're actually getting the Australian ambassador in Brazil to coordinate with military and yeah. all sorts of stuff and there's issues with charter flights and that kind of stuff, getting in and out all over the country. Whereas Qatar... It's not an issue. They arrive <laughs> five days before the first game. You're yeah. at one hotel, there's one bus that takes you with and out to every game. So logistically, it's like it's it would in... be the easiest tournament yeah. ever. Yeah, it's one from neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so from that side of it, um, yeah, I'm a little bit envious of the guys who were this time. They got it pretty easy. We had the two most difficult ones ever. Yeah, ever, yeah absolutely. Yeah, massive, if you think about massive, countries massive countries. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if we are, you know, even if you look back at 2018, I thought it was a fantastic performance from the Socceroos against France in that first game. You know, they won the tournament. It took kind of a, a dodgy pen and a slight deflection were the only two real chances that they had to beat us 2-1. But even though it's a loss, the fact that it was 2-1, you're in the tournament still. You know, if, if you go into that first game and it's a heavy defeat, it's so hard to recover. I think so many, even for us, the amount of times that your you, goal difference has been, um, you know, gone against us at World Cups. We always seem to get the big guys first, yeah, with Germany in mm. 2010 and yeah. uh, France in 2018. So that game for me is is crucial. As long as it's not a heavy defeat and we're still in the tournament, then I'm certainly with you. The Tunisia game is, is one that's well up for grabs. Not that I know loads about Tunisia, but I want to look at their squad and look at the clubs where they play for, the level that they're at, their results in, in qualifying. Yeah, a nil-nil and an own goal from the opposition, which was a strange yeah. own, own goal, passed back from outside the box. <laughs> That's right. To get through, so you sort of go, well, yeah, you can go into that game with a real positive outlook. So, yeah, there's certainly an opportunity, but for me, that opportunity will either still be there or be blown out of the water uh, at the end of game one. So, Luke, who's your player to look out for from the Socceroos squad? Well, I think everyone's talking about Kowal, so yep. we're all keen to see, um, you know, how he goes and and the impact that he has. Uh, unfortunately, we'll see how they are with the injuries that they had, but, you know, the two guys that 
I really see making a massive difference is uh, Harry Sutar. We've missed him enormously. If he's at a decent level, I think he's someone that, you know, uh, from what we understand with the interest from Premier League clubs, you know, he's a Premier League level player and he's someone that, um, you know, maybe the rest of the world doesn't know a lot about that. Um, that people might be talking about at the end of the tournament. Um, and the other two I kind of throw in there are Kai Rolls and Cam Devlin. I thought Rolls in those uh, qualification matches against UAE and, and Peru was, was outstanding. We all, everybody talks about, of course, the call for Redmayne to come in with the penalties and Redmayne saving the penalty shootout. But for me, the massive call was playing Kai Rolls um, in those games in the centre of defence. Uh, along with Bailey Wright, and they were both outstanding in those two games. So for me, as much as all the talk was about Redmayne, they were the big calls that, that paid off really, really well. And just the way Cam Devlin has progressed through the junior national teams, um, through the A-League, and the way he's playing for Hearts, um, yeah, really keen to see how... It's like every time the bar gets lifted, he adapts to the level. Um, and just kind of keen to see, you know, if he's out there in the World Cup and in the midfielder against France or against an Ericsson and the likes with Denmark, uh, how he adapts to that level. Because every time the bar gets lifted, he continues to adapt. And I'm, yeah, I'm not sure where his ceiling is. I, I think he's still got a bit to go. Interesting to see how many minutes uh, Dev- Devlin does see at this tournament, whether he is competing for the position with Jackson Irvine going into this tournament. One player I want to touch on is Aiden Hrustich, a player who has a little bit of an injury cloud coming into this tournament. How crucial is it that he does, in fact, take the field for Australia? Do you think that we can get results of this tournament without him? Is he essential to our progress? Yeah, I think, you know, and when you look at Arnie's approach a lot of the times, it's kind of more, a little bit more pragmatic for the first part of the game. So maybe Krustic ends up getting used as an impact player, someone a little bit later in the game, given that he hasn't had loads of minutes coming into the tournament. So I think he could be a massive weapon there. Um, I really, really like Krustic. I like the qualities he has, his technical ability, his ability to break open games, but I still don't think that at club or at international level, we've seen really solid, consistent 90-minute performances from him. I I kind of feel like uh, this World Cup might be suited for him to to come in and be a bit of a game-changer if things are a bit tight. So how do you see Group D playing out with our opponents? So we've got Australia having uh, France, Tunisia and Denmark in order. How do you see this group playing out? Can Australia come out of the group? Yeah, I, just going back to what I said, our chances of coming out of this depend on what happened in game one. If you have a heavy defeat in game one, it's just so hard to recover. It all happens so quickly. The games come thick and fast before you know it, it's all over. And it's hard to recover that kind of... If there's a, if there's a heavy goal difference, we come out of that in good shape from a scoreline perspective and physically injuries cards an easier game is well up for grabs and by the time you come into the third game then you know you never know where things are at there in saying that i like denmark's team they've been consistent for a long time the whole 80 percent of this group have been together for such a long time they know each other really well you know unlucky to miss out on a euro final with penalties with england Nations League the last two times they played France they beat France in Nations League so really tough game but it's it's not one where yeah I just think if we get to that point game three and we're in decent shape then 
yeah, we can give it a crack because I look back at 2018 with that similar squad that Denmark had. The game that we played against Denmark, we drew. thought the performance in the second half was one of the best I've seen from a Socceroos team in a long time. And, and we were the one that made the chances to go on and win that game. Unfortunately, we didn't. We drew, but we were the team that looked like winning that in the, in the second half. I want to talk a little bit about Australia going forward at this tournament in the attacking sense. Is it the case, do you think, that we're going to be hanging on for... Uh, well, we're going to be trying to keep the door closed for most of the games and then come 70, 80 minutes if we are still able to keep the score at goalless we can throw on a Garang Quall, throw on a Jason Cummings and try and snatch a win do you see many goals in what would be the perceived starters for this Australia squad? I think it will go that way because I expect that will be Arnie's approach you know, if it's Angie's approach is different yeah, and you try and go at teams right from the start and put pressure on teams that maybe aren't expecting it and that kind of stuff so I expect that's the way it will go because I, I expect that will be the, the, the approach from the coaching staff. So having a look at uh, future World Cups, and, and you, you're right, it does look like this squad has been picked with the Asian Cup and uh, 2026 um, in mind. What is it that we can do to keep this, this chain of players this you know manufacturing line of players through as far as from a quality uh, perspective and training perspective for the young up and comers coming through the system. Is there anything that we well, need to improve on? The big difference that we've seen, if you, if you look back to you know the early stages of the A League or ten years ago, when there were no A League club academies, you know we started the A League with just eight teams, eighteen competitions, seven teams in Australia, no NYL, no A League club academies. So now that there's more teams, there's more opportunities for players. The A-League clubs have had their academies for five, six years now. So then the players coming through that system, you know, if you go back, I don't know, to use an example, Graham Arnold's head coach of Sydney FC. Sydney FC doesn't have an academy. There's a kid in the, kid in the under-15s of Blacktown City that's banging goals. He's not going to know about him. But if there's a kid of Sydney FC in the under-15s, under-16s, banging 30 goals a year, he will know about him. And that's kind of been a big change, I think. So we've seen with the A-League Club Academies, the opportunity, and with more teams in the A-League, more opportunities for young players. So we need to continue that. So whether that's expansion of the A-League, the second division, we need more opportunities for young Australian players to play. When the A-League first started, there were seven teams in Australia, 23 players, that's it, per squad. No NYL, no academies, no anything. Of those 23, five were foreigners. There was just zero opportunities for young Australian players. And outside of that 23, if you were above the age of 16 and you weren't in, and you lived in New South Wales and you weren't in the 23 man squad of Sydney FC, then the best we had for you pre NPL, State League, was training and playing environment, train twice a week and playing in the State League. That's what we had for our most talented you know, players above the age of 16. So we've seen that change enormously, I think. With the A-League club academies, with the opportunities to play in the A-League, with the young players playing for their A-League clubs in the NPL, they've been getting opportunities in the A-League. Expansion in the A-League or second division will continue that. And and one, obviously, from my previous life that I'm so big on is more international tournaments for our youth national teams and exposure. So when we see, you know, the Oli Roos qualify for the Olympics and play in that tournament, that's when players get the opportunities to move on. When our Joeys did well at the World Cup in Brazil um, and got out of the group in 2019, you see the amount of those O2 players that are actually O2 born players 
that have gone to, to clubs overseas and to Premier League clubs and the likes with Pepe on and whatnot. So they're not going to, you know, a random fourth division club in Cyprus or, or whatever. They're actually being signed by good clubs in good leagues. So you know, junior national teams need to be exposed to more international football and, and, and put under the under the nose of scouts, basically. Like the, as much as, you know, I'm a massive fan of the A-League. I love the A-League. I watch it all the time. But the reality is, you know, key international scouts are not necessarily not signing players because, you know, they're doing well as a right fullback in the A-League for Newcastle Jets or whoever it is. Pretty much when they go to these international tournaments, when they get seen and do well at those tournaments, and that's what I hope happens here at the World Cup, you know. The last World Cup, not that they all worked out, but, you know, Sainsbury and Bayhitch got their moves to PSV and all that kind of stuff based on performances at the World Cup and we saw so many players kick on from performances at the Olympics in Tokyo 21. Hopefully that happens at this World Cup that uh, people get you know stand up and get noticed and get moved to progress their career which in turn helps the national team. Um, here expansion in the league, more opportunities for young players and we need loads, loads, loads more exposure to international football for our young players and playing in tournaments and you know just the you know you look at on the on the men's side we got the Joeys, the Young Socceroos, and the Ollie Roos. Every other developed nation, and even you know through Europe, even through Asia, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Korea, Iran, they have national teams in every single age group: 15, 16, 17s, 18s, 19s, 20s, 21s, 22s, 23s. To seniors, you know, they have more than double the amount of teams constantly playing games than what we do. So if you're born in a particular year, you don't miss out on exposure to international football. Now, it's difficult for us to do that because we don't have the finance and the resources, you know, to make that happen. But we, we really need to look at how we can get more activity and more exposure to international tournaments for our youth national teams. It's a very good point. And I'd like to ask you about something that we could potentially add here locally in Australia to the game. We spoke to Kofi Danning in the last episode and he suggested a Youth Australia Cup, similar to the Youth FA Cup in England, where you have the under-18 sides from the the top division the top clubs in England they all ha- compete in a knockout tournament is that something that should be added here in Australia do you see that happening uh, anytime soon for me I'd love to see that happen a youth FA Cup I think the, the simplest and the easiest way would actually to be able to do it through the schools the schools already have the tournaments going so if that became you know a, a junior uh, Australia Cup uh, you could do a couple of age groups 16s opens uh, whatever it is, boys, girls, they're already playing it anyway. It'd just be about badging it, commercialising it. Um, once the schools invest in those uh, for the prestige of those competitions, I remember growing up, rugby league always had the Commonwealth Bank Cup, and it was big. Once it got to sort of quarterfinals and whatnot, it was on television, and yeah, it was. Mm. So I don't think there'd be a whole lot of work to make that happen through the school system. Would be good, and then of course, if that could be doubled up as well through the club system. You know, would be fantastic. And I don't think it would take loads to do it. I think everyone would be keen to make it happen. I think it's time for us to go to our predictions, or for your predictions. We're going to get you to put your prediction hat on now, Luke. Yeah, ask me a couple of months ago, I probably would have tipped France, to be honest. But I think that Kante Pogba is a big hit to them, although I still like them. But when I've looked at the squads that have come through, I just keep turning my eye back to Brazil. Yep. Um, it's... You know, I think most a lot of people's predictions are being where the World Cup is in Qatar. It'll most likely be a European team that wins it, that kind of stuff. But I really like Brazil. That they absolutely nailed their qualifications in South America. They 
that they cruise through there at the top of the group and such a difficult qualification confederation. You, that, that attack is frightening, the amount of options and weapons that they have, and I really like their coach, Tite. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sticking my neck out. It's Brazil. All right. So thank you for your time, Luke. Greatly appreciate you joining us on the back peg in our Destination Doha Group D preview. Much appreciated. Enjoy the World Cup and go the Socceroos. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So, Nathan, this is the part of this podcast that I want to call Where Are You for Hid Ben Kalfala? Just look at the rest of this group. That's right. Group D, right? Fahid, born in France, played for Tunisia, last known whereabouts Melbourne. We've been trying to reach out, Fahid, but no answer. Uh, Let's go through France, right? They've just uh, announced their squad and... No Paul Pogba, obviously. No N'Golo Kante. Uh, but the side obviously still looks, you know, uh, pretty good. Pretty what, good. Pretty, pretty good. good. What do you pretty think? Good. It's not as good as Russia 18 because of those no, two players that no. you mentioned. And Kante's a big miss for them. Oh, he is. N'Golo is a big miss for them. Let's talk straight about this midfield because this is the one question mark I have about this French side on paper. Before you get into any of the politics sure. and anything that's happened over the last couple of months, just the players in and of themselves, the midfield is... <sighs> Fafana's un- under an injury cloud as well. He is. Right. I think it would be Chormeni and Kamavinga. I think Kamavinga plays. Yeah. Kamavinga maybe starts. maybe Rabio comes in for him. But they're doing okay at Real Madrid. But they don't have that same sort of level as Kante Pogba, obviously. And I think they do fall a bit short because of that. They are missing those engine room midfielders that did carry them to that 2018 title. They don't look as intimidating as the 2018 version. And if there is unrest in the camp, as has been reported, and hopefully that's not false information or false news, right, or fake news, then there's issues. I think uh, Hugo Lloris, as a goalkeeper, hasn't really impressed since winning the World Cup, to be fair. He's got a... And he's, as you said about um, Edison, he's got a clanger in him. He does. He really does. Just to... The mind goes to that goal that Callum Wilson scored yep. this season against yeah. Hugo Lloris. Yeah, and hopefully he has another moment like that for the Socceroos. That'd be nice. Mitch Duke running on through. Absolutely. <laughs> anyone else running through. <laughs> yeah. Just anyone in a green and gold green and gold colours running through. That's it. You know. Uh, look, Varane's under, just coming back from injury, right? But he's injury prone. You know, you look at this side. Pavard is there. The, he was there by, by far the probably the most impressive performer or one of the most impressive performers from their last World Cup and what a and goal he's he been scored consistent yeah at, at Russia right yeah, what, yeah. A, what a fantastic oh. goal it was it was against Argentina I think it was goal of the tournament wow yeah I think it was declared goal of the yeah. tournament yeah mm. so you got Jules Kunde, Varane Kunde's got an injury cloud yeah Lucas Hernandez has an injury yeah. cloud yeah so I think Saliba from Arsenal might actually get a call up well he's in the squad he is yeah I think he actually and gets the call up to be in the starting starts? lineup maybe because Deschamps does like Kimpembe. Yeah. Maestro Kimpembe. Who does he start with? Who does Deschamps start with up front? Up front? I, surely it's Benzema and Mbappe up front. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because he'll go with a 3 4 one, two. Yeah, yeah. So who's the one? Interesting. It, it looks like a bit of a shootout between Griezmann and Kunku. It won't be Mbappe. What, as the one? As the one. 
just in behind him because he, he does fancy himself as a bit of a 10. What, behind Benzema and Giroud? I don't know. Um, this is the, you know, like... This is so Coleman? good. You can yeah. do so much with this team. Is you can Kings- play whichever way you want. Yeah, is it Kingsley Coman? It might be. But King- uh, Coman's been playing as sort of a right wing back yeah. for, for France. Yeah. And they're not playing in this 4-3-3 system that we saw in previous World Cups. Yeah. They have switched That's because right. the fullbacks are a bit of a weak point with this side similar to Brazil Brazil have weak fullbacks and mm. so do France coming into this tournament so playing a 3-4-1-2 system I, I'm going to ask you about on that left side are you surprised that Ferland Mendy hasn't been picked in this French team? No because he's been playing for France yeah, in the last year or two no no I'm not obviously you know there are my inclination is that the side that he's picked here is performance-based, right? And obviously, with keeping an eye on who's relatively okay to play right now, right? We have said that there are a few players with injury clouds over them, but so you can stick them better on the left. Yeah, you can. You can. Right, and and that's why I'm not surprised because Teo Hernandez will start. Well, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, no, and look, and and I think, quite rightly too, right? But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think this is a strong enough side. I don't know if they will finish top four, right? So I think that um, unfortunately their defence will be short lived at this tournament, but the defence of the World Cup, I should say, uh, will be short lived. And having a look at their recent form. Um, Denmark uh, took care of them in the Nations League you know a couple of months ago so that's not great that they did that is the big uh, interesting uh, contentious point of this group away from Australia it is France and Denmark that dynamic they were the only team that France failed to beat on the route to winning in Russia the Danes it was a a nil or draw correct and as you say they took care of them in in the Nations League haven't got a good record against them no haven't got a good record against them and their record in in the Nations League to be fair isn't that great no, it's not. Which is the only form you can go off recently. That it is, because all the, all the friendlies are uh, a mismatch of players and you don't know who's taking the field and all that. But we'll look at the qualifying as well for France. They had an easy ride of it. You look at the group that they qualified out of, it is Ukraine, Finland, Bosnia-Herzegovina and Kazakhstan. Yeah. Yes, they didn't lose a game. Neither did Ukraine in that. No, that's right. To the point of the quality of the group, it was potentially the weakest team in UEFA qualifying. We yeah. Did. It was the weakest group in UEFA qualifying. Yeah, no, that's right. And Ukraine having their issues, right? So, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, look, Bosnia would have provided some resistance to them as well, as we saw in the form of a draw at away to France. But, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced that this French side will be able to defend their title. I can't see it. I honestly can't see it. Which makes them gettable. Yeah, it does. It does. And we mentioned the injury clouds. A lot of these players haven't been playing too many games... As we speak right now, in the last week or two before the tournament starts, so look, I'm not saying Australia's going to go and beat France. That's ludicrous, but it's possible more than if the France game was last for the Socceroos. Yeah, and Australia has beaten France historically in tournaments, right? And I'll mention the Confederations Cup, right? In historical editions of that, and we've. So it can be done. There's no reason why it can't be done. 
am I going to tip it? No. But am I hopeful for a draw for the Socceroos? Yes. That's essentially where I sit as well. Hmm. Hopeful, not expectant. And it's just because this French side is so stacked. Yeah. Who's your player to watch in this French team? That's a good question, you know. Because there's so many options. Yeah. Camavinga has to be. Interesting whether he does play over Rabiot or not. I think he starts in front of him. He's, he's been playing so well at Real Madrid. You've got to, he's got to play. If Deschamps doesn't play him, first game, fantastic for Australia. Mm. Brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. I hope they self-destruct. They're due. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the French are due a self-destruct. It, it's been a little bit now. They won't be saying a little bleu. No. Nathan, who's your French player to watch? For me, it has to be Mbappé. The yeah, guy, but the, we know Mbappe, right? Everyone knows Mbappe. <laughs> Give me someone that we don't, you know. Uh, let me rephrase the question. Mm. Nathan, who is your French player to watch outside of Kylian Mbappe, who the rest of the world will be watching anyway? Yeah, they will be. For mine, it is uh, Teo Hernandez down the left side. I think he starts. And because you don't have the quality of Paul Pogba in this midfield, there needs to be some creativity from somewhere else. And the flanks is where I would look to for that creativity. And Teo Hernandez, who's been fantastic for AC Milan the last few seasons, he's someone who needs to deliver for this French national team for them to win the group because it's going to be hotly contested. I think we're about to see the impact that N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba have on this French side by their absence. I think if they if, if they were both available playing for France in this World Cup, then I'd be saying, well, let's slow our roll here, right? But... I think that uh, France are gettable, like I said earlier, because of the fact that Pogba and Kante are out. There might be a little bit of pushback on Pogba because his club form has been horrendous for the last few seasons, but national team Pogba is a different player altogether. He is a top five midfielder in the world, French Pogba. When he puts that French shirt on, seriously, it's like Ronaldo in Portugal. It's just, you know, they're just different players. And he's a massive miss for Le Bleu at this tournament. For mine, I do have them going down as an early exit. Not in the group stage, but okay. early enough that it will be a massive disappointment. Deschamps will leave the French national team and Zidane will be his replacement. Yeah. So let's go to part two of where are you, Fahid Ben Kalfala. <laughs> Tunisia, the side that Fahid did represent. They announced the squad overnight. Uh, most, of their play- most of their players apply their trade in North Africa with some uh, French players or French-based players, I should say, rather. So you've got 11 players based in Europe applying their their trade in Italy, France, Netherlands, and Germany, and Denmark. So you've got a bit of spread-out talent there. They're an unknown quantity to us, primarily, truth be told. We think they're gettable from an Australian perspective. Uh, Australia, I don't think, has anything to, f- to fear against uh, African nations, I, I think, our physicality and approach to the game can counter for their technical ability and they will be technical they will be technical their recent form is not that great to be honest uh, with a 5-1 loss to Brazil in the last series of friendlies to be fair there was a red card at 2-0 at that point and yeah, but it I seemed think, as though they threw the towel in uh, that's exactly what I'm getting at right and a 1-0 win over Comoros which really is neither here nor there. No, no disrespect meant to Comoros, but I you know, would have thought that they would have lined up uh, a higher quality of opponent 
given that they're getting ready for a World Cup. I think they're gettable. And Australia has nothing to fear against Tunisia. And I think that's the match that we've earmarked three points for. Not saying that arrogantly, but that's the, na- the game that we need to win. If, if Australia is going to progress out of the group, this is the three-pointer that we need. It would be very Australian football if France does capitulate, they crash out in the group stage, but we're not good enough to capitalise on Tunisia, who goes through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It'd be very it would Australian be. football. would be. It'd <laughs> add to the rich fabric of our football history, no doubt. But this Tunisian side, we'll talk about them a little bit more. They are defensively solid. Brazil game aside, they do sit deep. They have good players in the defence, playing at good European clubs. The two centre-halves there, Talby and Bron, play well for their clubs. And... The midfield is going to be very interesting to see how far they get up the pitch because I think they play for a nil-nil in the other two games against France and Denmark. Australia would be playing for a nil-nil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, 100%. Tunisia will look to get the door closed in all three games more so than getting on the front foot and trying to outscore an opponent and it's up to their opposition to go and break them down and create chances and score a goal. That's what I was getting at previously with sure. Aiden Rustich being my player to watch for the Socceroos that that is how I see Australia getting on the score sheet against yeah. Tunisia. For mine, my player to watch is Masakni, okay. the left-sided attacker. He's the one similar to Hustich. I'll just copy-paste what I said before. He's the one that has the creativity in this Tunisian side. He's the one who will be creating the chance. Wabi Kazri is getting a little bit over the hill now. No disrespect to him, but he's on the, the, wane, the wane of his career. A lot of these Tunisian players are. And Masakni is one that will be able to... Uh, generate some go forward for the Tunisian team. I think you're going to be impressed with my player to watch, Hannibal Mesbury, 19 year old. Were you expecting me to say Hannibal? I was actually, truth be told, because he's a Manchester United <laughs> contracted player, even though he's not there at the moment. Is that on loan to Birmingham City? Of, from what I can see, so uh, he seen him play a couple of times, and not only a couple of times actually in the Championship and played for Manchester United last season as well. He's a talent. He's, he's a talent, and he actually featured in a couple of games under Ragnick's, uh, Ragnick's uh, failed tenure there at Manchester United. And yes, much to your surprise, I do watch Manchester United every now and then, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, he impressed. He impressed, and now he's got himself a low move over to Birmingham City, getting more football under his belt, and is a talented player to watch. He is. He's one for the future. I think it goes to show the level of the Tunisian side that Hannibal Mejbri, who's barely made... His first team debut prior to this season has gotten a fair few caps for the national team already. It goes to show for mine the quality that is his competition in the midfield slots. For mine, he's nowhere near ready to have a lasting impact on a national team at a World Cup. He's not ready yet. Perhaps he'll get there one day, but this World Cup's too soon for him to have a large impact on the Tunisian national team. A squad that most of the players are on the wrong side of 30. This Tunisian squad, they were good in Russia in 18. They scored against Belgium and Panama. They're a little bit worse off this time around. The players have gotten a little bit older. They're going to get older again. This squad isn't being replenished, as we see with other nations. The talent coming through, Hannibal aside, is not of the same level. So yeah, you're right there. I think Tunisia will struggle to make the next World Cup, just the way African qualifying works. They barely got into this tournament in the home and away game against Mali. So yeah. what I'm getting at here is that Hannibal Mejbri, yes, he's a good talent, but... Where's the rest coming through? Where's the rest? Yeah, oh, Where's agree. the rest? And look, you might be right with regards to the African qualifying for the next World Cup because you'll have countries like Egypt and Nigeria going back to where... You know, and Algeria, for that matter, 
going back to where they belong. The threat as well from Australia and the other teams in the group is Wabi Kazari up front, a name that Premier League followers will know from his time at Sunderland. He's a player... Who are they? Who are they? Who's Sunderland? <laughs> where do they play? Uh, do we have to talk about Sunderland? <laughs> we do have to talk about Sunderland a little bit here because uh, Wabi Kazri is a player who did do the business for Sunderland mm. in the Premier League briefly and as well for the national team. He was good at the last World Cup. Yes. He's not been as good this season. He hasn't had the best of starts. And yes, he'll play up front as a lone striker for Tunisia, but he needs a lot of service. It's a question if he gets it or not. That's really what it comes down to. But we'll obviously go through the game by game and see how the, the group uh, pans out. Should we move across to Denmark? The last team in this group. We shall talk about Denmark. Yeah, we can't say where is Fahid Benkel Falah for Denmark because I haven't <laughs> found a Denmark tie with Fahid. But I'm sure we can come up with another player. Thomas Sorensen, where are you? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll set him up. You knock him in. All right. So, Denmark. They've picked 21 of their 26 players. That's an odd move straight off the bat. Well, Not naming a full 26, mm. leaving some spots open for some competition just in the last weekend before the World Cup. Yeah, but also I think that FIFA have done something that, given the time of year, obviously that the World Cup's being played, is that they, there's no need to actually declare your final 26 uh, up until 24 hours prior to the first kickoff. I think that's purely because of being a mid-season World Cup. Yeah, that's right. Have some injuries yeah, and no- these sorts of things. Yeah, whilst normally there would be, you know, two weeks in advance. Which so. has thrown the likes of Panini completely off. Oh, who Try- cares about them and their stickers? Trying to make, try- <laughs> trying, to make a, trying to make a sticker book for... I have no pity for them at all. <laughs> I'm a bit more favourable to the Panini <laughs> sticker collection. I've uh, actually bought an album and a, a box of stickers uh, on the way at the moment. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe, maybe okay, we'll I can't do, begrudge you that. Maybe we'll do a little bit of Panini chat once the tournament starts. I'd rather talk about World Cup kits like we have been on our yep. socials talking, you know, getting a poll on the, you know, we're going to do a kit bracket as well at some point. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. So let's get to Denmark. Uh, strong side. Very really good Euro uh, last campaign as well with the European Championships uh, where we had um, the unfortunate incident of, of Ericsson going down. Thankfully, he's back and in good health. So, And beyond that, he's playing fantastic. For some red team that comes out of Manchester, apparently. Yes, he's been playing well for Manchester United. He was playing well for Brentford as well last season. And yes, he did. Christian Eriksen yeah. is uh, nearly back to his best. So you look at this side and you think, strong. Very strong, straight away. right? And a smart coach. They're very well coached. So they're definitely favourites of this group. You put them as the favourites to win the group over France? Yes. I do agree with you. Oh, I'm surprised. I'm I do shocked. agree with you. I do agree Great. with you. Spoilers for the game by game, but I do think they do top the group. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Who's your player to watch? Mine is Andreas Skovolsen. Yep. Looking at this Denmark team, there's not too many goals moving forward. Dolberg has struggled to get minutes on the pitch at his club side this season. So has Damsgaard, not really playing much at Brentford. Scott Olsen is the only one in that attacking unit that has been playing something resembling regular football and getting some good contributions as well, key passes, crosses, whatever. He's my player to watch. He's the one who has to create the chances and the goals for Denmark at this tournament. I'm going to be boring and say Christian Eriksen. Yeah. Uh, 
He's just a phenomenal player. Everyone knows Christian Eriksen. Everyone's okay. going to be watching Christian Eriksen. Let's say I'll, I'll throw. The, I'll turn that back on you. Let's go Hoiberg. Let's go Hoiberg. <laughs> Let's go Hoiberg. Right, it, it, it's got to be a Danish midfielder because them midfield wins games. Right, they will control the tempo in in most of the games that they're 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 playing in, and those two working in unison in midfield, I'd be really excited to watch. I, I rate Hoiberg. He's a great midfielder. This midfield entirely is fantastic. Hoiberg, Delaney and Eriksson, it'll probably be three players that are, are very cohesive as a unit. They're strong at the back, strong defensively, particularly Delaney and Hoiberg. They're brilliant at shutting down those half spaces and then they've got good go forward as well. Mm. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Uh, look, and their defence is strong. you got Kaya in there, Christensen in there. So, Jockey Anderson will go. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's... It's a really good side to watch. I'll be interested to see who the other five are, but obviously he's picked his core side there. So, And their recent form, they had a 2-1 loss against uh, Croatia in the Nations League. But if, actually, Croatia have been the thorn in Denmark's side. They have. They lost both Nations League games to them, but they accounted for France. So that's why I'm bullish on Denmark beating France. I am as well. I think Denmark do come away with a three-point and... Uh, yet again be the thorn in the, the French side. And the problem is, with this Danish side, is the goals. Yeah. As I said before, there isn't enough goals in this team, but results would have you think otherwise. Yeah. 3-0 against Serbia, 2-1 against France, 2-1 against Austria. Those Croatia games are the only ones this year where they haven't scored two goals. Yeah. So yeah. they are getting forward. Mm. Individually, the players perhaps are not too scary to watch compared to the other team's at this tournament, they're not as intimidating on paper, but this Danish side are so cohesive. They are they are one unit. They are one team. They do their job so well as as a national team. They're one of the most cohesive teams out there. A lot of these sides at the tournament will rely on individuals, especially France, will rely on an individual to get goals and get wins. This Danish team, without having too many superstars, are a superstar team. Yeah, hard to disagree with you there. Okay, Nathan, word association time. Denmark. For me, it has to be Lego. That's my first thought for, That's the, a good for, one. for Denmark. What about Carlsberg? Yeah, Carlsberg, good beer. Good beer, despite being a former shirt sponsor for Liverpool. Oh, don't hold that against him. <laughs> it's a, I, I don't mind a Pilsner. I don't mind a oh, Pilsner. Oh, good, very good. Tunisia. Uh, got you stuck there, eh? Yes. I've got... A name that's associated with Tunisia. Fahid Ben Kafala. <laughs> we'll love you. France. Oh, 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 my, oh, my okay. Tunisia. Oh, I'll come back with something. Um, I couldn't tell you a single bit of Tunisian culture. I got my head. Not a, not a single bit. So I'll just the uh, capital city, Tunis. Tunis. I'll, I'll just I'll cop out with a with a player as well. Hannibal Mejbri. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, France. Paris, just Eiffel Tower. Same. Yeah. But I'll add croissants. Croissants. And gastronomy. Yep. There you go. Michelin star. Yeah. Mm. Oh, food and wine, you can't yep. go wrong. Australia. I'm going to go for the mascot for Australia when they're fighting overseas in sport. It has to be the boxing kangaroo. We're playing football, we're not boxing kangaroos. <laughs> Graham Arnold, are you listening? <laughs> um... Socceroos. 
Yeah. That's it. Green yeah. and gold. Green and gold. Go the Socceroos. Go the Socceroos, indeed. So, should we move to our quirky fact, Nathan? Let's do it. So, you, you've been building up this quirky fact. No, no, no. Me. You've been... I just said that I've been holding on to one for you, a little while. That's it, all. And my assumption from that is that you've got one particular Qatar quirky fact that is so good that's worth holding on to. I'm really looking forward to this. This has been coming for eight episodes, Lazarus. I never said that it was good. All I said was, I'm just going to keep this one under my sleeve, or under my hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you know that Qataris love to use robots for camel racing? What, robot camels? No, no, no. They love to use robots for camel racing. How? Where, do the ro- where does a robot come into it? Does a robot, like, chase the camels along the, 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 the racing path? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> Where's a robot come into it? Does a, does a robot ride the camel? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh man <laughs> listen I just find the facts right <laughs> what, what, what's a robot what, robot what's camel a, racing what, hang what's, on what's one second what's a role here Fight. okay so there you go <laughs> you're in shock I am in shock <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan they use robot jockeys for camel racing you've just shown me the video yes i can't believe what i've just seen yeah you see a bunch of camels yep run around like it is the melbourne cup correct and instead of having a jockey on mm-hmm. the back it is this little tiny robot with a spinny arm that acts as a whip it, it <laughs> i couldn't believe it when i saw it had to show you didn't i <laughs> that was well worth keeping up your sleeve there you go there you go and you forgot to mention that the jockey has a walkie-talkie so they can talk to the camel. So the owners can communicate with the camel, right? What, Goodness. mush? Mush. I'm guessing so, right? <laughs> or faster, faster, right? And yeah, there you go. So that was my quirky guitar fact. I never said that it was going to be good, but I'm glad that you laughed and <laughs> that you amazing. liked it. <laughs> <laughs> if you are a jockey, be on the lookout because advances well, in AI technology, they're coming for your job too. It looks like that jockeys are on the way. If that has anything to go by. <laughs> and there we go. And there we, there we go. That <laughs> Good stuff. So, Nathan, now it's time to let our hearts overrule our heads here. And don't worry about our credibility, right? Because it's probably shot by the time that the World Cup starts anyway with our predictions. Credibility? What credibility? Exactly. <laughs> and... Australia, go and predict- nine, Australia, nine points, let's go. That's right. Go and predict the, the game by game here. So, Denmark versus Tunisia is the first game of the group. Interesting. I think Tunisia put 10 men behind the ball, play for a nil-nil. I don't think they get it. I don't think they will offer enough to trouble the Danish defence, of which we lose. It was very good, very depth themselves. I do think the Danes come away with a 1-0 win. Your thoughts? I think Denmark win 2-0 against Tunisia. So, we move on to... The second match of match day one in Group D. France against Australia. France against Australia. The world champions, the French, how do we think we'll go? I can only see a loss. As much as I would love to tip Australia 3-0, Australia 2-all, get something out of this game, I can't see us winning this game, to be honest. I can't see us even getting a point. Really? If we are to upset the apple cart, I think this is where we get them, right? I think that Australia can get a draw 
out of this or get a result, but I think a draw is the result that we would be happy with in all reality. My head says that France will win 2-1, so it'll be a similar outcome to what it was four years ago in Russia. But um, they're there to be got, the French, and hopefully the Australians can take advantage of that and get a result. So I've got France winning 2-0. I just think they're, just, they're too strong for us to, to, to hang with for any decent amount of time. Come on, go with your heart, Nathan. Go with uh, your heart. No. All right, Australia 5 <laughs> So, we have uh, both uh, Denmark and France on three points. That we do. As we head into match day two, Tunisia against Australia. This is the game that uh, we're all going to be paying attention to. Nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Yeah, Everyone's going to be out and about watching this game. And I think there is reward there for Australia to pick up three points here. Get our first World Cup win in a long time since 2010. Yeah, we have. I think this will be our first World Cup win in 12 years. Yep. I'm going to go for a one nil. I think we win two one. I think Australia wins two uh, one against Tunisia, and that gives us three points. Denmark versus France. I actually have the Danes winning this one. So do I. Two nil. I've got two one. Same thing essentially. I do think the Danes are going to have enough about them. They've shown in head-to-head battles that they are good enough to, to hang with France and beat France on multiple occasions. I think they'll do it again here. And this is the start of the French capitulation. Yep. No, I agree with you there. Agree with you there. So then going into game day three, we both have Denmark on six. And we have Australia on three. France on three. France on three. Tunisia on nothing. Which makes it very... like. Like Luke said earlier in our podcast, makes the game against France so critical. Oh, just to get a result yeah. against that. Because if you look at the way that the group is set up now, we given our predictions, we just change that to a draw, and Australia's you know got a sniff. We do have a sniff indeed, and it probably would end up coming down to goal difference. Yeah, yeah. We go into game day three for Group D here, and Denmark versus Australia. What are your thoughts? The Danes. Yes, they're top of the group. Yes, they've won two games already, but they're still not mathematically qualified out of the group. They still need to go and pick up something from this game or at least avoid a, a heavy defeat. I don't think that's a real concern for them. I still think they win this game. As much as I would love to pick an Australia win and send us through to the knockout stages, I do think we lose this match. One goal to nil. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. As much as I'd love to, I can't. And as much as we'd love to see the Australians go through... Uh, France-Tunisia. I've got 2-0 for France. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think Tunisia offer much going forward. Actually, I haven't p- predicted them to score a single goal in this group phase. Yeah, uh, I'm much yeah, much the same as you. I think they might get a goal against Australia, but one. Australia will win 2-1 that game. But either either way, I think we have uh, Denmark going, in th- on f- going through in first. Yep, Denmark on nine, France on six, yep. Australia on three, Correct. Tunisia on zero. And let's hope that the Socceroos can really get in, uh, you know, on four points at least. And Hopefully. Hopefully. It would be good to see the Socceroos get through. Group C, opponents wait though. Yes, and if our predictions are to be believed, we yep. have a round of 16 clash, Argentina against France. Correct. Oof. And goodbye, France. Yeah. Goodbye, friends. Yeah. It won't be a little bleu. Then we have Mexico, Denmark, in my reckoning. <laughs> I've got uh, Denmark, Poland. <laughs> That's right. Mm. I think Denmark go through. I think we'll, we'll save this for... That's the spoiler, yeah. spoiler for our um, bracket uh, preview. 
which will be the last episode before we go to before the World Cup kicks off. Just talking about Australia with this group stage campaign, this World Cup campaign, what do you see as a pass mark, a fail, or a, a raging success? What is where where does it lie? Where is your expectations from this group? That's a good question, Nathan. I, I actually don't have any expectations as such. I I my personal expectations of this soccer squad is to go there and play with the Australian mentality, obviously, of being physical and, and giving it a red hot go, right? But also this side does have some technical ability. We we have been focusing on developing the technical ability of our players. So I think that this side here actually gives me a lot more optimism than what the 2018 side does, to be fair. Maybe because of the circumstances that Ange left under uh, and Rand Mywick being the appointed as the interim coach. I've liked what I've seen un- at certain points under Arnold. There have been some matches that I'd rather not watch, to be honest, right? Uh, just because of the style of play, you know, and it's, it's just the way it is, right? I think that, and look, I, th- I think you'll find that I'm not the only one who actually thinks that stylistically we are different to have a go, which was what we were used to under Ange. If we're talking about outcomes, desired outcomes, as far as what expectations are concerned, hmm, that's tough. I, yes, we'll give a good account of ourselves. How does that translate to the points? That's tough. I think that we should look at a minimum three points. Minimum three points as a, that's the minimum. That's it. We don't beat Tunisia, then then, you know, we have to look at what we're doing as far as style of play is concerned and and the technical team. That's interesting. So you're saying that if we get a, a point against Tunisia and two other defeats, that's a massive underachievement. I think so. Yeah. We've got to recognise that this Tunisia is the opportunity for us to actually win at this World Cup and register three points. Because all due respect to Tunisia, mm. you're not going to get too many games that are more winnable. Correct. Absolutely. As being a pop four team. Correct. You know, we, we need to take our chances against them. Right? This is the chance for us to, to uh, put, you know, for this team in particular, we, having been selected with a view for 2026 in mind, right? And the AFC in between, right? So the Asian Cup in between. I think that the Tunisia game is a marker. We don't win against Tunisia. That's it. And look, we should because I don't think stylistically they're that different from the UAE. Yeah, that's a fair call. That's a fair call. My expectations for this group perhaps aren't quite as high for mine. I think if we beat Tunisia, it's a it's a very much a successful tournament. I will take that one nil, and the goal, however it comes. I can't agree with you there. Three points on the board. I'd be very happy with that. A successful tournament to me is getting out of this group. So I don't think that's realistic at all. No, but that is what success should be. That's what the benchmark should be for success, right? Because we can only take it a, one step at a time. Unless you're the Greek national team from 2004 Euro, which you know goes right through, right, and wins it, for, you know. But that is unlikely to happen at a World Cup, right? Because you have only had eight nations win the World Cup. So step by step, right? We managed to get out of the group uh, with Gus Hiddink, right, in 2006. 
We haven't been able to get out of the group since. We need to get out of this group. Well, not get out of this group in particular, because, and I'll tell you why it would be success, right? The next World Cup, the way that I've seen it slated is that it's going to be 16 groups of three. That means that, and I think there's a round of 32 in there. Yep. The next phase, which means that two teams out of each group will get through. You get this team out of this group, all the kudos to you, Graham Arnold. Well done. I'll be the first one to to say well done. Because it, it would be a hell of an achievement. A hell of an achievement. And that's why I think that's what could be considered a success. Just looking at it for mine, I see the clubs that our players are playing at. And yes, they're putting in good performances, but some of the clubs from the Tunisian team are at a higher level, particularly the defence. The two centre-backs are playing regular games in top five leagues in Europe. We can't say that about any of our players. For mine, the Tunisian players have a higher ceiling than what the Socceroos do right now as a, as a, looking at the two squads. I think on the day, Tunisia, if everything's happening for them, they are perhaps a, a better team than Australia. Look, the only thing that really concerns me about Tunisia to be fair, is not necessarily where they're playing because more than half their squad is playing in North Africa. It's more so to But more do... than half of the Socceroos squad is playing in Australia. Like, that's League, what I'm saying. It, it yeah. doesn't, it's, like, that's neither a concern. It, it, it's more so their experience at international level. But their experience, and also they are ageing though, and we've got quite a youthful side here, right? I, I think that that youthfulness mixed with the attitude and ethos of an Australian side actually going in and having a go and not being scared, right? Depending on how we come out of that France game, if we come out absolutely battered, then you've got to, you know, reassess. If we manage to get a draw out of that France game, then, hey, all bets, you know. All bets are off, bright and bushy-tailed. Absolutely, right? So a pass mark for me, you asked what's a pass mark. Pass mark for me is four. You get four points, pass mark. Pass mark. You qualify out of that group, right? That's a success. So four points and going home on goal difference? Where does that sit for you? Pass. Pass? Absolutely. Because we have to be... We're all hopeful. We're all optimistic, right? And sometimes that hopefulness can be... And optimism can be mixed in with, uh, you know, with with... Delusion. Delusion, right? <laughs> and let's not be delusional. But also, let's try and be somewhat optimistic and go, you know what? Which team against France and Denmark, out of those two teams, which team are we likely to get a result against? And what we mean by a result is a draw. I would say France. I think we are more likely to get something out of France than Denmark because it's the first one up. I think if you switch the, the Denmark and the France game, perhaps that feeling swaps as well. Yeah. But this French team has a lot of injury clouds and I don't think they come into this tournament firing on all cylinders. I think you can get at them. I don't think Australia is going to get anything from that France game. I do think we're going to lose that match, but it can happen. We can get a point against France. It would be more feasible to me, or I wouldn't say feasible, but I, I guess, well, for want of a better term, yeah, feasible, that Australia does get a result, happens to get a result against France. Right, and then we're alive. You get a draw out of that game, you're alive. Yes, you might be relying upon the other result, France Tunisia, when we're playing against Denmark, because unfortunately, 
in all likelihood, this Danish side will beat us. Right? They are very good. And that's why I actually have said um, um, all along that I actually think that the Danes are group favourites, not the French. So the French have a bad habit, a uh, bad history rather, of defending their titles. They do, and they have a history of capitulations as well. I look at South Africa 2010. Beat at World Cup or beat at Euro. They don't defend their titles very well. No one does in Europe. Do we talk about this World Cup curse? So, except for the Spanish. The Spanish have, in recent times, mm. they've been able to with the Euro. So they had the 2008 Euro, 2010 World Cup victory and 2012 Euro victory. So they're the only ones in modern in modern day football that have been able to defend a title, I think. I don't recall anyone else off doing it off the top of my head. No, I don't CONCACAF doesn't count. No, oh, of course not. You bring it upon yourself, CONCACAF. <laughs> <laughs> More shots fired at CONCACAF. They should combine CONCACAF and NOFC, really, they should. I don't know how that works. Doesn't matter how it works, that's what they should do. <laughs> that way New Zealand gets a you know, guaranteed hit. I think for mine, looking at the Socceroos, a fail mark for mine is no points. Yeah, that's that, fair. That's a fail. Yeah, I agree. I think a... We, admir- we, we, sorry, we agree on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. An admirable defeat against France and Denmark is okay. And if we come away with a point against Tunisia, I'm not going to be kicking off. Are we talking a 2-1 defeat? Like a one-goal defeat? One-goal defeat where perhaps we had a chance yeah. to get something out of it. We don't get blown away. If we come away with one point from Tunisia as well, I don't, I'm not going to be kicking off against. I would be, I'm, I would I'm not be disappointed. I would be disappointed if if we just got a draw against Tunisia. We di- can beat Tunisia. The, the Australian side has nothing to fear against, and this is not being disrespectful to the Tunisians, but I guess this is a bit of the Ange uh, attitude as well, right? Where we need to go into the games, and the guys, the soccerers, shouldn't be thinking, "Oh, that game's winnable. That game's winnable." Mate. They should be thinking, we need to give a good account of ourselves and play to the best of our abilities, and that's it, rather than actually worrying about the opposition. Do what you do well. Give a good account of yourself. Come off that pitch absolutely knackered, right? And the results will look after themselves. Now, obviously, we as fans will temper that with a bit of reality and go, you know what? That's where we're saying, get us a draw against France, right? Don't get your butts handed to you uh, against the Danes and go and win that game against Tunisia because that is the one. And I dare say that if Arnold, Graham Arnold doesn't get a result against Tunisia, and I mean a win, right, maybe we should look at the uh, situation going forward because then that doesn't bode well for when we go back to Qatar for the uh, AFC Asian Cup. No, it doesn't. And I think... They should look at a change, a national team manager, regardless of what happens. Really? Only if Australia makes it out of the group, I think. Okay. I think it's time we move beyond the Grand Arnold era. Not that, not that I'm specifically calling for his head, but I think it's just time for us to get a change of a change of things and how much, freshen things up a bit. How much do we miss Ange? Oh, big time. Right? And I think Ange has got one thing wrong. The Australian public, Ange, respect you, right, for what you've done and the way that you've carried yourself, right? The Australian football industry, or not necessarily the football industry, I think the people there are the football industry may be split because there are people with agendas, unfortunately, who were out for him. But the media, coming from a different point of view, anti-football, which 
by and large, they have been, right? And I don't think there's anyone that can dispute that. And if you do, and if you do want to dispute it, I advise you to go check John Didelitz's Optus Sport Football Belongs podcast series. And you had non-football people involved in football at the time as well, right? Who didn't want to back Ange, right? Ange needed to feel the love, I'm guessing, something of that nature, right? But we miss Ange, right? And I think that had Ange been in control of this side, and I'm not criticizing Graham Arnold when I say that, it's just a different approach and a different mentality. Graham Arnold is more pragmatic than Ange Postacoglu. Can we agree on that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So if we agree on that, that's where I'm coming from. Right, so I'm glad that the Socceroos made it to the World Cup. Let's not stop there. Let's go forward. Right, accept the criticism when it comes your way, and don't be so dismissive of it. And this thing of boxing kangaroos on the field—you're playing football. You're playing against technically gifted footballers or technically well-developed footballers. Right, boxing kangaroo thing is an attitude thing rather than anything else. But let's apply ourselves and play football, right? And not be afraid to go toe-to-toe with them. And if that's what uh, Graham Arnold means with that, rather than these cliche things, fantastic all for it, right? But let's have a go, right? But be smart about it as well. Pick our times. That's where I can agree with the boxing analogy and go, listen, you know, it's a boxing match is 12 rounds. I'm not going to just keep, you know, I'll keep throwing the jab, but when it's time to defend, defend, but then do a quick counter. Right, and I think this side has got the ability to do the quick counter. Well said. Do check out the social media at the back peg on Twitter and Instagram, and check us out on wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Please do. And any any rating is fantastic. Any review is fantastic. Any feedback whatsoever, good, bad, or in between, DM. We'll take it all on board. Yeah, send us DMs, no problem at all. We'll interact. Uh, we'll respond to every DM that we get. So I've been Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos. And we'll speak to you soon. Take care, guys.